His bark is always as big as his bite. This is Bulldog Unleashed. All right, so I told the guys I was going to get ready to uh, do this interview and my next guest on Bulldog Unleashed, and they asked me this one question. They said, how did you meet Casanova Ace? Ace, I got to be honest with you. I don't remember. I said, I don't remember exactly. Do you remember how we met? You see, you know, you know the pivotal people in your life. You should remember. I done told you all about smoking all that weed. You don't remember <laughs> shit. Anyway, but I don't smoke weed and I don't drink, so I remember vividly. Oh, you do. I was living and I was living. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I was living in Kankakee, Illinois. I was married to one of your favorite people, Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth, right? I don't like Elizabeth. We we got it. That's why I brought it up. I was married to Elizabeth. We will talk about her. Yeah. Okay. I'm in my I'm in my bedroom making up the bed, and I noticed the answer machine was flashing because uh, yeah, this was well, years ago. Answer machines, answer machines, not voicemail. A- answer answer machine. The light was flashing. Right. So I checked the message, and um, a deep voice was like. This message for Casanova Ace or <laughs> Ace, Ace, Ace Casanova. Yeah, yeah, you, you chuckled saying my name just like that, but don't worry. <laughs> I'll get you for that later. Um, you knew my friend. Um, the nexus between us is Mancow Muller. Okay. I was doing sports. I was on Mancow's show as the sportscaster. Which was funny because I'm not a sports enthusiast. I mean, <laughs> I just would, you know, read the paper, watch the news, and report what happened in sports. I wasn't like an analyst or nothing. I would just, you know, the news in my opinion. Yeah, the Bulls won. They great. The Bulls lost. They suck. I mean, I was just basically, <laughs> basically how you do that, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you, a man cow, um, told you about me and said that, um, you know, I was a really good spontaneous rapper and I'd rap at his events and his concerts and things. And I was a really good opening and you were having the Sheeta Khan, the Sheeta Khan martial arts event coming up, um, which was, Oh man, that was, I don't even know why you quit that, but well, uh, yeah, I will get to that later. (laughs) So I came, went and, um, I opened up the sheet of con. We had it on pay-per-view, as a matter of fact. You, right. your man, Pat White, and, you know, in the gang, and we all had a good time. And you, you and I became fast friends after that. That's how we that, met. That's what it was. I, I told the guys, I said I knew there was a connection with Mancow. I couldn't remember exactly what it was word for word, but you, there it is. He gave me your number. I called you, so, and that's it. And, yes, that was Ace. You want to feel really old, man, because you're talking over 30 years ago when we met. You know, it was when I was really, really young. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I met a, a guy, a really famous music producer, and I went to his house for a party. And everybody at the party used to tell me, you know, I've known Joe 30, 40 years, and they used to trip me out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how could you know somebody 30, 40 years? I think I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And Joe Diamond, that's, that's his name, he told me, you know, something casting over one day. One, I'll never forget this, because this goes with this story. One day, they'll be saying the same thing about you. And right at this particular moment, you're one of many people that says, I've known Casanova 20 years, 30 years. Some say 40 years, and there you go. Man. You just never know. That, you're right. 
You're right. Now I want to go. I want to take one. I'm going to keep stepping back till we get to the beginning. How how did you meet Mancal? How did you get that gig? Okay, that now what I did was, okay. um, I knew I had these rap skills. I wanted a job. I worked at this little radio station in Kankakee, and they had the um they had the radio magazine they would get every week. So what I did was I said, I don't have nothing to lose. The radio, uh, the last six pages of this magazine had the phone numbers to all the big radio stations in the country. So I would call the radio stations and I would say, you know, connect me to the voicemail for the morning show. And I would take all the morning, I would call all the morning shows and I would put the morning shows into a rap right there on the spot. And I had got work like that because most of them that I called, they called back and would pay me $25 to do the rap of the news of the day. That's how I started, you know, making some money doing, you know, doing, doing the rap. It would work well for morning radio because, I mean, it, it fit right in. And I got a call from Angie, who was um, Mancal's yeah. producer. Pardon? Yeah, I remember Phone her. Girl. Phone girl, yeah. Your phone girl, your phone girl called me and said, well, this, I'm from the Man Cow Show in Chicago, and, you know, we want you to do, you know, something for us. I did something for him, then I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. Then I became, like, a part of the Man Cow Show, not necessarily hired, but a part of it. Then he started inviting me out to events to eventually he gave right up giving me a job. Oh, that's cool. That's a, that's a great story that I never knew. I had no yeah. idea how you hooked up with him. Now, the rapping stuff, obviously, I remember that. How did you first get into rapping? Where did that start? Okay. Rap started, <laughs> mm. and rap and Star Wars go together because they both really was born, really born, and, and started off and running in, like, 1977. When you have to imagine, I was young, still in high school, and uh, you had guys, before they started making records, you had guys like... Curtis Blow and Grandmaster Flash and so forth and so on. They would do parties at um, at these uh, big um, halls up in the Bronx, like the um, the Audubon Ballroom and um, and the Renaissance Club. And uh, there was a famous club in New York called Roseland um, Studio Fifty Four. But they got into there later. But they would they would they they would you know they would they would rap there. And then um, the following Monday, we would hear the tapes at school, and we'd be in the lunchroom, and we would be, like, bopping our heads to the tapes. And I was like, man, I got to learn how to do this, because at that time, you know, rappers was getting all the girls. You know, rappers was getting laid every other Wednesday. I'm like, you know, it ain't about money or fame. I just wanted to get some season tapes. So, like, I, I, I learned this one rhyme first that um, – um, one of my best friends taught me. I'm king of the NC world and after here to see. I was in Casanova at that time. They called me Greggy G. And then there was a couple of other bars after that. Greggy and I would G. start doing I would start doing um block parties in my own neighborhood. Where, where and are then you? I got where to, are you from? What what neighbor are you from? I am from Brooklyn. I'm from the Fort Greene downtown project section of Brooklyn, New York, originally. You're from Fort Greene in Brooklyn? I did not know that. Yes, I'm from I, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. That's I was born and raised. I probably did know know that now that you said it. It sounds familiar, but I didn't realize. Okay, I'm very familiar. I, I know Fort Greene now. I'm familiar yeah. with that area. 
So, so you were from the projects? Yep, I'm from, yep, okay. from the projects. All right. All right. Yep. Five <laughs> pair of pants, four shirts, and food stamps. That was life, but it was a good but it was a good life though. Was it? Was it a good life? Well, it what, was. what was what was growing up in Fort Fort Greene like? Fort Greene was really, really rough. I mean, it had a it had um a reputation of being a rough place, but I was all right because my father was like a gangster in Fort in Fort Greene. Well respected. So, you know, what did he once do? they no, found out. What was huh? was he just a gangster? Is that what he really did? Or did he have another profession or just a gangster? No, my father was like a mechanic. Okay. But he just had a reputation for being tough. Got it. Okay. Gotcha. Now, oh, no, wait a minute. Now, there's a two parts to that question. Uh-huh. That was my stepdad that really raised us. Okay. Now, my father, father, my father was in the mob. My father was part of work. Actually, my father worked for the mafia. Okay. He, um, I mean, you heard the term running numbers, right? Sure. He ran numbers for the, uh, for the Colombo and the Gotti crime regime. In that Brooklyn. Right? Yeah. Now, did you know that at the time, what he was doing? No, I worked for him when I was, when I was a late teenager. <laughs> okay. All right. This is getting good. All right. All right. So, so that was, was that your first job running numbers? Yeah, that, um, yeah, that was my first. That was my first real job running numbers. Yep. Okay, so you ran numbers, and and then <laughs> sometimes late high school, you you became the rap sensation that we know today is Casanova Ace. In high school, <laughs> I started I started rapping. Okay, but uh, what wound up happening was I got a big reality check around 1984. 1984. I um went and oh by nineteen eighty four records started getting made. Yeah, the Sugar Hill Gangs are famous. Your Curtis Blows are famous. Your Grandmaster Flashes are famous. Your Funky Four Plus One famous. They making records, doing tours, making money. And there were two clubs in New York. One was called Disco Fever. The other one was called Broadway International. So I went up to Broadway International and I bullshitted them. I told them that. I was like I was like this big rapper from California, and uh, the uh, the club owner he was a Jewish guy named Leon. He didn't know who's who, so he welcomed <laughs> me into the club, welcomed me into the fold. But every time I got on stage, right, I would get booed. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one instance, and this is the most embarrassing. They threw a wet roll of toilet paper and hit me in the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> Why now, would, oh man, you got to perfect that rap, man. <laughs> now I don't know if it was Leon believed in me, or if he just had, or he was just laughing his sadistic ass off up in the balcony, which is where he used to sit on club night. But he used to tell me, no, no, no. <laughs> he said, no, go back up there, go back up there next weekend. Show what you made of, kid. Show what you made of. <laughs> now. I can honestly tell you that it was my love. I, I had more of a love of being on stage than I had of being afraid of the fact that I was getting booed and clowned like that. <laughs> After about a year, it's a whoa, whoa. Because what wound up happening was Leon gave me the responsibility of hosting the shows at Broadway International. That's what it was. I was the host. 
So oh. that's the host that used to get booed. And then I bring up all the big LL Cool J's and all of them. And they, you know, bring them all up. And it was, I mean, it was cool, but it was hard at the same time. <laughs> After about a year, it's yeah. not that I got better. It's just that them Negroes just got tired of booing me. They, I mean, they were like, dang, he ain't going nowhere. Boom. You might as well just you know, listen to him. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. That's great. So, but I did not get my big break there. Okay. okay. I came home one day and my mother told me, we're moving to California. Just like that. You're like, they're like Will Smith. <laughs> Prince of Bel Air, yeah. baby. No, but see, let me tell you why. Was, let me tell you why that was hard. Uh-huh. I had my first girlfriend at that time. I was in love. Okay. Don't tell me that was, was don't, going to do, do, Wait, wait, wait. Do not tell me I know who that girlfriend is. That's no. Not, okay, no. good. I no, know. no. Because we that have got years we, before that. Uh, okay, because no. we got to talk about that one. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what's that's, 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 no, we talk away. I'm talking about the, the, gotcha. I'm talking about my first girlfriend. By the time okay. I got to live, she was like about 70. Okay, good. But that's another story. Yeah. Okay, so, but yeah, and I was like heart sick. Okay. But, um, okay, I got to California, and going to California changed the game for me because... No, wait, you were out, went, of, you were out of school already by this yeah. time. Okay. Yep. All right. Going to California changed the game for me because um, they were about four years behind New York when it came down to the whole rap thing. Okay. Um, New York had it going strong. And California was Los Angeles. They were just getting started. I mean, one of the biggest first names of, in, in, in California was Ice T. Ice T, who plays on Law and Order SVU now, that's what he's famous for. But he was one of the original OG rappers in Los Angeles. One of the one of the you know one of the first ones. And then later on came your EZs and your NWAs and your Ice Cubes and all that. Um, but I got there and, you know, I started rapping and, you know, I mean, I was rapping around people that never seen nobody rap. They heard it on the radio, but they never really saw nobody do it. (laughs) So, you know, I'm rapping and rhyming and all that other kind of stuff like that. I used to call the clubs up and, you know, and rap for the club owner over the phone and he used to have me come down. The very first big thing that I ever did was I rapped at a club um, called the Total Experience. And the Total Experience was a club that was owned by a famous band called the Gap Band. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, And um, I rapped at that club and, you know, things started happening after that. You know, I started being known. And um, I got together with um, Dr. Dre who Dr. Dre of the uh, famous NWA, and now Dr. Dre makes the Beats headphones and right. all kind of records and with Snoop Dogg and all that. Dr. Dre was a DJ at another club called Eve After Dark. That's where he got his start. And so... Man, you should have you know, stuck I with him. The... <laughs> What's that? You should have stuck with him. I, I should have stuck with I should have stuck with a lot of people. Yeah, you ain't kidding. To be honest, you ain't kidding. Look at you're stuck with me. All those stu- all those big names you had, you wound up being stuck with me. What's the matter with you, Ace? man? Jeez. The, the big. Let me yeah. tell you something. Oh, 
I just mentioned Dr. Dre, and you said the word big name. That don't even come close to the big names that I would encounter over the course of this journey. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, and, and that part I do know of the story of you. Um, I, I do know the fact that you ran with a lot of people or came across a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so. there's a story about Frank Sinatra. I mean, I mean, it, 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 it's been, a, it's been. A, it, I mean, you know, when I finally buckle down and stop being lazy, and my fat ass write a book, it's got to be a good one. To be totally honest with you. So you, and I'm not saying it because it's me. It, I'm saying it because it's been an incredible life. And you know what, Ace? This is this is why I'm doing this thing because everybody has a great story, but yeah. most of us are too fucking lazy to sit down and write it. And that's why this is kind of like your books on tape. So how about that? <laughs> well, you know what? I, 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 would, I would argue that it's not that they're lazy. A lot of people forget. And a lot of people don't understand the significance of things that they've done in their life. Now, they may not have met Frank Sinatra or they may not have toured the world or nothing like that but people have done some amazing things but people are convinced that what they've done is insignificant and, and it's not a story but it is oh yeah but you know what it's just their life and when you think about it like people say stuff oh you've done that yeah it's just my life man i've done that you you're just it's just your life you're going through it when you sit back and think about it, it's like oh yeah i guess it would be a good story but your uh, now yours is so so let's go back so we you've got Dr. Dre in the mix you met him and and at the he was at the other club you said right Eve or something right okay Dr. Dre was at the other club right okay I was with a guy who was another um another big OG in the rap business that a lot of people never heard of but he was still significant uh, in the Los Angeles area rap named Mixmaster Spade now. Miss Master Spade was, um, he was a DJ that was doing the scratching and the backspinning and all that uh, out in Los Angeles before a lot of other people. So he was really a good fit. So I became his MC or his rapper when he would do a lot of parties. And, we, you know, we was, um, you know, we was making some pretty good money. Okay. Now, Spade was the first person to take me to an actual recording studio. I mean, we got a couple of, we made a couple of underground records at the studio, and that was my first intro to the studio. Now, what pivotally changed my life about being with Spade was we used to go to these music conventions. Now, the music conventions is pivotal to the story is because the music conventions is where you meet everybody. I mean, you would go to a music convention like it's called the BRE, the Black Radio Exclusive, and you will see people like Quincy Jones sitting at the bar just talking. You know, your Isaac Hayes would be there and Barry White would be there. And I saw Barry White at the music convention and I went up to Barry White and I did a Barry White rap and Barry White was like, young man, I can't believe you just made that up. And his big Barry White voice, what I want you to do is I want you to, this is my assistant, my nephew, um, what was his name, Blanchard. And I want you to call Blanchard in the morning, and we're going to get together, and we're going to have some grits and gravy, and we're going to talk about, you know, what you're going to do with your craft. So I met Barry White up at A&M Records. I'm at, up to A&M Records. Uh, it's starting to get real now. I'm up at A&M Records, who was like, you know, your, um, who was at A&M at the time? Uh, Barry White was on there. Um, 
Oh, I mean, that was a big yeah, label. Yeah. A and m was a, was a No, a yeah, really A&M. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, well okay. I'm going to give you an example how big it was. When I was coming through the gate at A&M, Robin Williams was walking out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't believe my – I mean, I'm up at oh, A&M. Oh, wait, right? is, I mean, okay. oh, wait, Quincy Jones was A&M. You talk about – Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that – Big, big stuff, man. The yeah, day yeah. I went, Robin Williams was walking out, and Paula Abdul was on the soundstage making a video. Okay, okay. And I'm and I'm, I'm up there, and Barry White, he's, he's standing in the driveway waiting for me at A&M, eating some Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> we went in one of the offices, and he offered me a record deal. Come on. Come on. I kid, I kid you not. And... Uh, all right, all right. I I, I want to hear this one. Okay. He said, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I uh, got a label called Unlimited um, Love Unlimited Records because his band was called the Love Unlimited Orchestra, mm-hmm. so his record label was Love Unlimited. His idea was he had a white guy who actually was the sound manager of the sound stage at A and M with a made movies and videos and stuff like that named Jeffrey Dane. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to put me and Jeffrey Dane together. He wanted me, he wanted us to be a group. Okay. So that was the idea. We were going to do that. Um, uh, Two days later, I went up to Barry White's house to, you know, talk, you know, to talk it over. And I'm at Barry White's house, a big house, mansion, in the Hollywood Hills, he had a big white piano sitting in the uh, in, in the living room. The place was gorgeous. His wife, who was famous for her nails at the time, her name was Glodine. Glodine <laughs> was in the kitchen making rice. <laughs> I was just sitting down, and Barry White, he asked me, he said, now tell me, young man, what do you want to do with your craft? Uh, I, I, and I really didn't know how to ask him. But anyway, he told me he had the idea. He said, I'm going to sign you to my label. We're going to make records. He said, because Jeffrey Dane is white, MTV is going to play it. You black, BET is going to play it. You got a lot of talent. Um, and he said, and I, I'm, 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 you going to be, y'all going to be the biggest things, you know, and not just in rap, but in the game. And I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, for like, I, I'm like nervous diarrhea excited. Okay. So, <laughs> you get that excited? <laughs> nervous diarrhea excited. Okay. Nervous but, diarrhea now, excited. No, I'm just at the time. How big of a record deal? Like when you sign a record deal, I don't know how the uh, I don't know the industry. So, I'm signing you to a record deal. What does that mean? How does that? Who gets paid on that? When you sign, but see, you know. That's a good question because I know those answers today, but I didn't know them back then. And I'll mm. tell a real fast story to let you know. Okay. When New Edition first came out, right. New Edition had two of the biggest records in the country. They were on tour for two years straight. On tour for two years straight, right? Okay. So millions of records. When the tour was over and the tour bus dropped them off in the projects, they were supposed to get their checks the next day. The check would encompass all the shows they did on tour and all the records they sold. They all got a check for $3.69 each. 
What? They got a oh. statement that all the video, the contract they signed, all the clothes that they wore for performances, the videos they did, the gas for the bus, the tour bus, and all that was coming out of their money, and that's all they were left with after all that. Oh man, are you so okay? So, so you question, are you are jumping into a sleazy business. I don't know what Barry White. No, they weren't part of that guy. Uh, who was who was their backer? New edition. Who who screwed them over? Their backer was a guy named Maurice Starr. Oh, not, okay. oh, I remember Maurice Starr. Remember the name? Yeah. Okay, but he was. They, I mean, they weren't screwing him. They. Okay, so uh, all right. Oh, that's well, exactly, I, no, that's exactly what happened. They they did screw them over. They screwed them yes. over. And and Maurice Starr, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, capitalized on all this and made a uh, fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, so, that's exactly now, what happened. Now did Barry White do this to you too? Okay. I did not sign the contract because Barry White, what happened was I knew enough not to sign it because his contract said that they would get 100% of the publishing royalties for any of the songs I did. Now, let me explain real quick fast right. what that means. Okay. Um, but did you know at the time what that meant? I, yeah, I did know. That's why I didn't I, sign. I knew that much. Did, I didn't know everything, but I knew giving away the publishing was everything. Okay, so what are what are the publishing rights? Publishing rights are when you write a song or you write music. That song or music, um, the publishing is actually the ownership of that material. So in other words, okay, let's say I, I, I do a song called Bulldogs Rap, right? Mm-hmm. And then Bulldog's rap is used in a commercial 20 years from now. Instead of me getting paid, the person that owns the publishing gets paid even though I wrote it. Okay. Got it. So Barry was trying to sign you where he had all the publishing. and you He would get all the publishing. And, 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 I, and What would you get? I, How did that work um, for you? Well, I, I, would, I, I would get a royalty, which, would, which at that particular time, royalties for artists was less than a dollar um, Less than less than really a quarter, really a quarter per record sold. Okay, that's what you got, and he got the rest. Right, and then all the expenses, like what happened in New Edition, if right. we went all on tour, all of that, came out, off. all expenses yeah. will come out of your minuscule end that you get. So wow. that that none of that sounded right. So hmm. I ended up not signing. Okay, did he try? Was he a tough negotiator with you? Um, let's just put it this way. He knew what he was doing and I didn't. Okay. And I wasn't so green in the business even at that time that I didn't know how that worked. So was it, but you weren't a businessman. You were just a street smart guy that happened to know what publishing was. I was a street smart guy, but God looks out for his children. I had people around me okay. that knew that, that new business ends of stuff. Oh, okay. Now, <laughs> I do have to say. You get yourself into some things, and uh, I don't know if I'm one of them God's children for you, but I've given you some good advice over the years. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you exactly. Have come, yeah, you have yeah. come to yeah, me with some. You, wanted, you are one of those people. <laughs> you have come to me with, you know, over the years, um, I'm going to say you're on the, the short list of people who have come to me with some of the craziest ideas ever, really. Um it, it's some of the things you get yourself into. I don't even know how you get yourself into. Right. I really because yeah. You know when when you uh, when when you, uh, when, you, when, you when you when you are talent, 
that is the blessed thing to be, but it's also the cursed thing to be because you're the talent and there's always people that are ready and ready to snake and take advantage of that. Right. And nobody, no, man, I don't know anybody in my life that has been, people have tried to take more advantage of than you when it comes to stuff like that. Everybody's trying. I mean, at the time and we were running around together, um, People kept trying to reach out to you, and, and they kept trying to screw you over all the time, man. You, you know, when I, when, I, when I look back over it, I'm 57, and I, and I don't feel bad about it no more because, you know, uh, you don't cry with spilled milk, and it's been an amazing ride. But I just keep wondering where I went wrong. I mean, I'm like, why don't I have a trillion dollars today? I, as talent, as a talent, and I'm not saying it's because it's me or blowing my own horn. I'm just saying the opportunities that I've had that have fallen by the wayside, either by stupidity or, or, or you know, I, even karma, because, I mean, I haven't been the most, you know, but that's another story. But <laughs> no, what, I, what I'm saying is, you know, I, 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 I should be, I don't know. You should be. Should in, have been further along than what I was, you know, but, if that's not anyway. Well, you should have been. So in, anyway, but you should have been anyway. in jail, but that's besides the point. But that that's a whole nother track. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I experienced that, too, but it wasn't for what you think it was. No, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remember that one, too. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you know, when I was calling you for there, right? Call, I, where were you, in Oklahoma or something, right? Where did you go to No, nah, uh, first I was in South Carolina, then I was in uh, Georgia. I wasn't in jail that long, but it seemed like forever. Oh, I yeah. I was two months in South Carolina and then two months in Georgia. All, right, all uh, over girls. What did, what did you do to get yourself locked up? <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll go back to the okay. rap. Don't worry, we're going back to the rap stuff. But uh, what did you do to get yourself locked up? Nah, this chick, she, um, you know, with this chick. She went on like $40 or something after I was with her. I was like, nah. So she went and told the police that wait. he made me do this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. See, wait, wait, wait. Go back. Slow down. He, what happened? She did what? No. I was with this chick. You know, we was having fun. She asked me for $40. I told her, to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, she told the police, he made me do this, and he made me do that, and I want justice. <laughs> so next thing I know, I was jammed up. <laughs> <laughs> Over forty dollars. My, my cellmate was like, "Man, you should have just gave Shorty that, man." Oh. I was like, "You think?" <laughs> <laughs> I God, I do remember that too. I didn't remember exactly what it was for, but I knew it had something to do with a girl, and I knew you got yourself. Yeah. Ah, uh, so South Carolina and uh, Georgia. I was. I don't know why I thought Oklahoma. Georgia was. I knew somebody else that was in Oklahoma. <laughs> it was. Let me, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what it was, and you'll get it. It's like an inside joke. Okay. It was God's way of telling me stop being to people what people have been to you. So I had to change my whole way of doing things after that. Hey, that that's a good. That, that's really good. That's a that's a good statement right there. Yeah, that's ba- that's basically this is a warning shot because you could you should be doing a whole lot more time than this. But I'm a, but I'm letting you off with a warning. This is a warning shot. People have did you, and you run in the wrong end of the things, or don't do to people what people have done to you. Knock it off. It, so after it, so yeah, I, I I I got the picture. So what was it? What were those two two months, two and a half months like? 
you know, it wasn't like TV. Wasn't nobody trying to rape me and. But you're all wait, to... wait a second. You're a big guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I no, but there wasn't nothing like that going around. I was blessed to be in some wait, pretty maybe, cool maybe, places. No, maybe that ain't. Maybe you just ain't cute as you think you are. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that could be it too. <laughs> they weren't hitting on you. What's wrong with me? Look at me. I know, Come right? on, man. <laughs> but um, but yeah. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't no fights, and it wasn't no, you know, a whole bunch. Of, it wasn't like Oz because when I found out I was going to jail, <laughs> see, that's what you get for watching TV. That was my first. I mean, you talk about somebody shitting bricks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all I could think of was Oz. <laughs> I can't really hear that in my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this shit was just gonna make me his bitch. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go down there and get some cigarettes for my man with Kool Aid on my lips. <laughs> oh man. Did you try to go? All right, I'll give her the $40. Let me go back on this. Yeah, I know. Hey. <laughs> No, no, no. This is the funny part. Yeah. I first off, I couldn't believe it. This, this, this happened for three days straight, and I kid you, I'm not even exaggerating about the time. I got in the jail cell because I mean, I'm one of those kind of guys where I never got any real trouble. My mother raised me and my brother to be straight. We went out gangbanging, doing criminalistic stuff, and all the kind. We, we, you know, she, she used to even say to her sister, "All y'all boys went to jail. Mine ain't never seen no jail." Yeah, okay, we broke that streak. Shut up, <laughs> shut up. We in jail now. I laid on my cot when I first got in there for two days straight. I remember standing at the ceiling, going, "I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I can't like a crazy man." Day three. I got tired of saying that, and I just was lit in the ceiling going, that bitch, that bitch, that bitch. You remember Mr. Gerard? That bitch. <laughs> yeah, but that was the first three days. That was it. Mumbling to, mumbling to myself because I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I remember to getting the call. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I want to thank you for that because you're one of the only people who's under my call. You ever call for a correctional facility? You wonder who your friends are when you get in trouble. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I got, I got news for you. I, I didn't know who it was when they called. They said, <laughs> "Will you accept the call?" Yeah, why the hell not? <laughs> yep. And, I talked to you a lot when you were in there. Good. All right, thank you. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, so <laughs> I want to get back. I want to go back to the Barry White all the way back to there. So, uh, you walk out. You don't sign a deal with Barry. You you say, okay, forget it because I'm getting screwed on the publishing. And I walk out the door, and you look back, go, man, that's Barry White's house. Should have signed that deal. Maybe I should have. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Okay, well done. So that deal, that that deal fell through. Okay. Immediately after that, and this is where it starts to get good. Okay. I ran to a guy. I, I was I was one of these kind of people. I, I was like, if you see somebody interesting, you never know who they are. Just go up and give them a little rap and see what happens. Okay. There was a guy with a real long leather coat, and his hair was gray and spiked. Hair out of place, real pretty. And he looked like he was somebody. 
So I went up to him, I asked him what his name was and what he did. He told me, and I rapped right on the spot. His name was Greg Thompson. What did he do? Greg Thompson was a executive producer of some of the biggest um, uh, 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 stage productions that they would have in the world. Like those shows that they would have like in Vegas with the dancing girls and the magicians and oh, like, comedians and all that. Like a Cirque du Soleil type of thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was doing those shows in hotels in Vegas and all around the world and cruise ships and stuff like that. So, I mean, somebody like me, if he could, yeah, I mean, I'll be right up his alley. Right. So, um, I met him and I rapped for him. And about a year after that, he gave me my first big job. He put me in a show called The Follies in Bermuda. Okay. So I go to Bermuda, I'm in this show, and I'm a big hit. Do, just doing your raps. You were, you yeah. were rapping. Okay. Now, would you do the type of thing where you'd ask the audience their name and rap them on the spot and stuff? That was exactly what the show entailed. Got it. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. right before that, I jumped ahead a little bit. During the time I was in Bermuda, I actually had a movie out. Okay, hit me over the head with this one because I don't know this. I did the uh, one of the I did the uh, next to last song on the soundtrack of the Jetsons when the Jetsons had a movie in nineteen ninety. Okay, <laughs> I just I don't know. Yeah, you uh, can see it. Jetsons the movie, and it's called the rap is called We Are the Jetsons. They didn't use my name Casanova Ace, though. They use XXL. But if you know me and you know what I sound like when I rap, oh, you know it's me. And and the song was what, what was it? What was it called? We're the Jetsons. It's called We're the Jetsons Rap. Okay, hold on a second. I got it right here. This is you, huh? Yep. You you've told me this shit before. Don't be lying to me. I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right. Let's take a listen. Some words in here. Well, hello, everybody. Yes, it's us. It's really true. We're back. Here we're gonna have some fun with you. Join the party in the future with this ultra modern crew. Did you write that? Yes. Okay. I'm playing this tomorrow morning on my show. We can rock it to the future. We can rock it to the moon. We can work with Jupiter or play on that too. Machines do the walking. Machines do run. If we need anything, we push a button and it's done. Yeah, that's you. I, I will attest to the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that is Casanova Ace. Okay. Yep. That's you, buddy. Wow, good job. All right, so, how, so you lined up, you lined up a, a record deal on a movie. Well, uh -huh. it, it was a, <laughs> it was a one, that was a one-time thing. Are, are you, do you know how much I got paid to do that? Um, um, three, about as much as New Edition? <laughs> I, got five, no, I'm just better. I got 500 bucks. 
Oh, you have five hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah. So wait a second. It's a, okay. Okay. Let's. That, all right, and, hey. that was, and that was a fair deal, right? A song, five hundred bucks, and it, it goes up there on the uh, on the big screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, cool. I, I mean, cool. it was it was a time to win. Uh, during during those times, I had no understanding really of what I had. You know, like I said, I knew about the publishing and stuff like that, but I had no understanding or concept of what kind of money you really could be making for this stuff. Who so for me? Who has the publishing? A, who has the publishing? Did they is that what the five hundred was for? For your talent fee and publishing rights, they own it. Yeah, yeah. The five hundred oh, was okay. what they they called it a um. What did they call? Uh, it was called the work for hire deal. Okay. In other words, Can they I, pay you and you go in the studio and you do this song now. Kind of like, um, hey, kind of like that girl who got in trouble. She worked for hire forty dollars. You should have given it to her. <laughs> forty dollars that I didn't get, but don't worry, I served, I served the time and then some. Okay, yeah. All right, see, so it worked. That, that was cool. That, all right, so you did that, and this was still while you were in uh, Bermuda. Oh, right. I, I did that, and then I went to Bermuda right after. I, matter of fact, the movie came out um, while I was in Bermuda, so. Okay. Um, that just turned out to be a real good deal. So I was getting five hundred dollars a week to do this show in Bermuda, and I've been—I I was out there for almost over well over a year, going, going on going on two. And this is in the eighties, um, you said. No, this was in nineteen ninety. Ninety. Oh, oh hell, then okay. All right. Yeah, I fast, I fast forwarded so. No, no, um, no. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, but we, uh, we, this, I, this, I am going back. We are going to go back to L.A. at some point because uh, we, we got to okay. talk about that. But, yeah, okay, so so you fast forward. Okay, so you're making 500 bucks a week doing this show. It's a cool gig. Living large, right? Living at the, I'm guessing, on the property there. And I lived at the Southampton Princess Hotel right on the beach in Bermuda. It was a five-star hotel. Nice. Nice. And so what happened to this guy, uh, uh, Greg Thompson? Actually, Greg Thompson is still around, and he's like you. He's one of my advisors down to this day. Really? Yep. I love it. I should, I should talk to Greg Thompson. I have some great stories. He and I could have a lot of laughs at your expense. I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you have no idea. All right. Okay, so uh, now did you save any of your $500 a week? Nah, I was um <sighs> no because what wound up happening was I mean uh, that all that money was going towards um let's see uh, you know, I was getting married so a lot of that oh. money was going towards the wedding. Oh no no not not to the one. No 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 that was but no that was that that's one before I was married four times. Okay, I think I knew that. Yeah. So yeah, that was but that was uh, one before Elizabeth. Okay. So, so this is, um, all right. So you spent all your money, but you know, one of the things that I know about you, you never got wrapped up into drugs. Nah. How, how did you stay away from it? I mean, it sounds to me like you put yourself in the middle of it a lot, you know? You know, I, I, my father, uh, my father was a, what I call a functional alcoholic. And I saw how much of a fool that made him. So that was one of the things that stayed me off of it. But when it came down to alcohol and drugs, when I see people high or I see people drunk, I never understood it. I never understood 
what, what, why is stumbling and being dizzy and throwing up and acting a fool? What is appealing about that? I never got it. And, you know, and just the thought of drugs, needles, and just smoking, period, was just disgusting to me. So, I mean, it was a thing, it was a thing where, and I always attribute things to God. God just did not put those tastes in my mouth. So I never got them, always stayed away from them. Yeah. And no, I'd rather spend my money, you know. Well, okay, I would say I did have a drug at one time. My drug was just women. Yeah, yeah, you spent a lot of money. I spent more money on women than I have cars, houses, anything. <laughs> you, <laughs> if you look at the history of my life, and I'll admit this. Yeah. I've had cars, I've had houses, I've had this, I've had that. I probably spent more money on tricking than the than, than, than material things combined. <laughs> tricking is expensive. That's why I'm glad I'm in a good marriage now and I'm in love with my wife and everything now because I'm able to live life better now. Because oh. all, all the energy it takes and all the money it takes to do all that, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was your weakness. That was it. That was my weakness. Now, now, that was my weakness. Now, now you're not uh you 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 do you'll have a drink right you're not never no I never taste I've never you, tasted alcohol you've never tasted you know I think I knew, you never tasted alcohol in your whole life never ever not even a beer and and, and and you've never smoked weed you've never done anything never ever not never good no. for you good for you that's good. Hell, yeah. I feel like shoot. I got life. I'm crazy enough. I don't need no yeah. help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good, good, good on that. All right, so I want to go back. So you're you're saying that um, this whole thing was happening in. So when you got back from Bermuda, you didn't. Where did you wind up going? Because I think this is right around the time that we met. Okay, yeah. when I left Bermuda, when I left Bermuda, um, I went back to California. Okay. Okay. And um, I, I lived in California, and I hooked up with some of my old gang. Um, I mentioned Mixed Master Spade and um, Ice Cube and all them. I hooked back up with them. No, were you? We went. To, were you running with them? Were you performing with them back in the in the eighties? Yes. You doing a lot of stuff yes. with them. Okay. Yes. Okay. We would do. A, we would do a lot of club dates. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, and, and, and now, um, what about what about that? Who was paying you then? Um, I would get I I would get a share of whatever um or whatever means Spade got to do a show. Okay, but it wasn't big money. Or was uh, no, wasn't little money. I mean, you okay. talk. I mean, back then for me, mm-hmm. you know, when you you talking um you talking a good. I mean, you know, a few hundred a night here, and maybe a thousand, maybe twelve hundred, depending on where you went. Okay. Because we didn't play little house parties at by that time. We were playing clubs like on on Sunset Boulevard and stuff. All right, all right. Okay. So, so you were rolling, you were you were running running big, big, big. We're rolling large, having fun with all that, and and blowing it all every night on your women. Right. Okay. Okay. Now <laughs> let's go back to the music convention. Another right. one. Okay. Back to the music convention. I met a man who who at he. The, the pinnacle of one man changed my entire life. Can I guess who that is? That Norby Walters. That's Norby Walters. Okay. Norby Walters was an agent that represented every big name black actor was, and I'm talking from the Whispers to Barry White 
to Shaka Khan to the Jacksons, even included Michael. He was their agent. They couldn't sing the Star Spangled Banner in Idaho unless Norby represented the deal and got a piece of everything they made. Okay. Norby was on the cusp of retirement. I met him at a music convention. I rapped for him, and Norby said, you know, and I already knew who he was. I mean, I, I, his, rep- his reputation preceded him, but the funny part about it was the first person that said that name to me was Grandmaster Flash, and this was years prior. When Grandmaster Flash showed Norby Walters, I already, I always assumed Norby Walters was a black guy. Oh. So imagine when this skinny Jew with some really good white hair told me he was Norby Walters. I'm like, what? <laughs> but okay. When I met Norby and Norby told me to call him the next day and I met and he said, I'm getting out of the game. I'm not going to be doing anything, but you know what? I'm going to manage you and you are going to be my sole client. Why? When he said that. Why? Why? With everybody else that you said, Norby had everybody. What was it about Casanova Ace that he liked? You know what? I, I, that that is a really good question, and you know what? One day, matter, matter next time I talk to him, I'm going to ask him that because I don't know. Okay. But you know, like I said, he represented all these acts. <clears throat> but as I learned within a week, he represented all those acts. But he was like, he was like the 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 uh, the, uh, the he was like the down low mayor of Hollywood. Okay. You want to talk about somebody that everybody knows and not just knows, everybody respects. He invited me two weeks after our initial meeting to his house because he was having a party. When I got to the party, I could not believe what I saw. The first person that snatched out of my eye was a guy named Cesar Romero. Okay. And if you don't know who Cesar Romero yeah. is, shame on you. We're talking about the original Joker Absolutely. from the Batman series. Absolutely. Yep. I said, that is Cesar Romero. Mm-hmm. No matter of fact, I was like, that's Cesar fucking Romero. <laughs> Cesar fucking Romero. Romero. <laughs> so Cesar Romero is there and Farrah Fawcett is there and um, Lee Majors is there and uh, Robert Blake, the original Beretta, lived upstairs and he came down to get a sandwich and Rodney, and, uh, not Rodney King, Rodney Dangerfield came. That was like, wow! That's Rodney Dangerfield. And, and this is at his house party? This is at his house. Okay. I got cursed out by Maury Amsterdam, the guy who was Dick Van Dyke's sidekick. Yeah, buddy, this is Dick Van Dyke show. Buddy Sorrell. What's his name on there? Yeah, buddy, <laughs> buddy Sorrell cursed me out. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I didn't even know this story. I mean, I knew you knew Norby Walters. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I knew that. But. 
this was this wait this this, this was his, this this is the, the, the first party I went to. You know, let alone the ones down the years where you know well, I met everybody. But that's that's the thing. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of no, myself. No, no. So, so so you know, people who don't Norby Walters throw it. What is it? The Oscar party, right? That's his big thing, right? Right. I, like this is the it is the party of parties, right? That, that that's it. I mean, there, there's there's no bigger Oscar party in Hollywood, but it's the one they don't talk about. I tried to get you to cut. No, I, actually, I, they do talk about it. Oh, now they do. They okay. mention that one on the news. Oh. Um, right after the Oscars every year, you know, oh, when I, they mention all the big I, parties, when they talk about Vanity Fair and the Governor's Ball and all that, they left that party in there on the news. Oh, I always thought he tried to be low key about it. No, that oh. party was on a news broadcast oh. when they mentioned the biggest Oscar parties. That one is in there I, because I know you. You, I've I've had the invite, but then I had but the problem was I didn't want to go as your date. <laughs> the, you want to go as my date? You go as my you, you go as my homeboy. We would have went there and had a blast. I'm kidding. I'm sure we would have. Yep. I know why I couldn't. No, go. because when you when you go down that red carpet line, the whole press corps is covering it. Nightline and uh, Access Hollywood and NBC and CBS, CNN, MSNBC. They're all there. There are like there's more press people mm-hmm. on the press line almost than was inside the party. Wow. And you're down that red carpet doing a step and repeat, and I rap for everybody. And for a week after the Oscars, I was on everything on TV. And this this was back in the early '90s. This was back okay. in the um, yeah, in the, in the early '90s. Yep. Okay. All right. So now, were you working for Norby when he when he took you on? What what was he? Doing? No, no, no. I, I wasn't working. He was working for me. He was my manager. Okay. Okay. Norby would get me booked at the Improv, which was like the the, the um like the biggest comedy club in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it would yeah. be like, okay, Jim Carrey would do some stand up, Adam Sandler would do some stand up, Richard Belzer would do some stand up. <laughs> uh, 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 um, um, uh, what, what's the the lady with the uh, uh, um, um, I forgot her name. Anyway, yeah, yeah, Adam Sandler and and, uh, and, then and, you. and the like and and then, and, yeah, and then Casanova Ace. <laughs> and then you. Wow. Yeah. And then nope. there were the telethons. Okay. Okay. The arthritis telethon. Some of the biggest names in the world was on the arthritis telethon and I was <laughs> the rapper for that. Ace. When when did you get yourself, or how did you get yourself into the wrestling world? Okay. What what year are we now? Because I'm trying to keep track of this stuff. Me too. I'm sorry. I keep digging. No, no, no. I I don't know. I enjoy this. This is dude. This is exactly what we were supposed to do. This is 1993. Yes. Okay. I was in Vegas. Mm -hmm. No, who took me to Vegas? Andrew Dice Clay. Okay. Went to Vegas with Andrew Dice Clay. He was playing at Bally's. So we did Bally's, which was probably my biggest show. Now this at, at, now you met Dice at, from the improv due to Norby and all of that fits in, right? So the, he took I you met, as a, I mean, you were I an met opening act. Dice, oh. No, actually I met Dice on my own. I was at the comedy store 
um, with a guy named Eddie Griffin that night. Um, oh, that that night, right? And Andrew Dice Clay was sitting outside the comedy store in the little restaurant area eating pizza. <laughs> and um, I went up to him, and um, I went up to him. I knew I had a thing to, to, to ask. They told me that I could do Jay Leno, but if I did Arsenio, I couldn't do Jay Leno. I couldn't do both shows. So I was like, so I said, let me just ask Dice. I said, Dice. I'm, you don't know me, but I got a little problem, and I just want your advice. He was like, hurry up, because he was kind of rude. <laughs> he said, I have a choice to do Arsenio or Jay Leno. If you was me, which one would you do? Uh, then I got his attention. He just said for me, you know, just say because I'm black. He was like, for you, you should do Arsenio. And then he asked me, what do I do? And then right then, I did a dice rap. And his <laughs> response after his, his, his jaws came back and dropped open. He said, how the fuck do you do that? I said, I don't know. He said, he had, he had a guy with him named Wheels. He said, Wheels just won a million dollars on a crap table. Go ahead. And then I rapped about Wheels going to the crap table. And he couldn't believe it. He said, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> no, because, I mean, I know what he's talking about because I remember... Man Cow used to run you around like that too. Here, do this, do that, do a rap. Give right. me your name. Give me your name. Give me this. Give me that. Tell him this. You'd rap the news. Like you said at the beginning of this, you rap the news. You rap right. the news. Did you rap the rules of Shidokan? Yes. Or, and then, then you got then you went in the ring and uh and, and you interred did the rules, right? Demonstration. Right. Oh my god, that was something else. Yeah, that, oh. that's exactly what happened. Oh sh- yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, I want I want to go back. I want, I want to rhyme back to this. All right. So, so Dice tells you to go to uh, to Arsenio, and then you and Dice. How, how did he decide? Hey, man, come with me to Vegas. He's first. He told me to come with him to the Laugh Factory. Okay. I did eight shows. He was doing the Laugh Factory because he was getting ready to do a pay per view. So he was doing a small club, the Laugh Factory, which was a famous club. But he was doing a club to test out material. That's what. Uh, big men comedians would do, by the way, if you really want to see a big name, and this is true today, if they get ready to do a big show, you'll find them in L.A. at a little club, because in a little club, that's where they go to test out material. Oh, yeah, well, you were talking about the uh, the comedy store. I mean, I've been there, and you never know who's going to walk up on stage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty awesome. But we actually did the show down the street about four blocks mm-hmm. at the Laugh Factory, eight shows. Okay. And that's and then he told me he was going to Bally's in Vegas, and then I went to um I went to Bally's in Vegas, and at that time, my firstborn was born, um, uh, Clemmie Gerard the third. We called little Paulie. I had a baby. Okay. And the only problem about all that was there was nothing steady. You understand what I'm saying? Everything was you know you hope the phone to ring. You know, okay. while I didn't have no. No skin, no no set job. You know, I didn't have no contract, no way, no set job. You know, but I mean, food was steadily coming on the table. It was fine, but it was a thing where you never know. So that's kind of like on the side of my mind. You know, every day. Okay. Now, now you so were, I'm in Vegas. Were you married in California when you had the, um, when you had little? I, had, I was separated from my wife and was with my uh, my son's mother at that time. My, my girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, I got separated. She was too much. <laughs> 
If you hate, if you hated Liz, oh. you the one to kill this one. Well, I, tell, I, I don't know. Liz, yeah, Liz was awful. Oh man. Yeah, no, no. That, Liz, that, Liz that, was. Liz was one of the worst women I've ever met in my life. She was an angel compared to Kathy, but that's oh, a, no, another wow. story. Wow. Yeah, I know how to oh. pick them. Yeah, yeah, good job. I'm, I have a pension. I have a pension for abuse. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. All right, so um, uh, uh, you know, we did the ballets thing, and that turned out great. So I love playing craps when I'm in Vegas. Okay. I'm one of those kind of people where I have a gambling problem, but only a gambling problem if I'm around it. You know, like I'm not one of those people that gotta go and that gotta gamble. I gotta bet, but when I'm in Vegas. Shit, I've been in Vegas times where I had lost my last dollar. Didn't even know how I was going to get home. It was terribly terrible. <laughs> That's what a vacation turned into a nightmare. If you was in Vegas and you ain't got no more money and you in the casino, they kick you out. They like, as soon as you walk in, they, they, it's like they got a money detective. Like, no, he's down with his luck. Sir, you got to leave. I mean, that kind of thing. They're going to suck every last penny out of you and then get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, ain't that something? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that wasn't the case this time. I'm in I'm in Caesar's Palace. I'm playing um craps, dice. Okay. And um as I'm playing, there's this commotion in the lot in, 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 in the lobby it was a commotion. And I see this real colorful guy walking through the lobby with a bunch of people. And it was Macho Man Randy Savage, the wrestler. All right. I said, I don't care what I'm doing, even if I'm up with this money right here, but I gotta do this. Got to, because I was a huge wrestling fan. Okay. I went up to Macho Man and I said, excuse me, I got one second. I got to do this. I got to do the singing telegram for you. And it was real nice. He was like, um, okay, brother, go ahead. So there's a quick rap right off the spot. Vince McMahon was standing right there, but I didn't really notice him. Okay. And Vince was like, again, jaw open. He was like, how did you do that? Did you know we were here? I was like, no, I just saw y'all. <laughs> and he said, this is what I want you to do right there on the spot because Vince is a real fast thinker. He said, call me at my office in Stanford, Connecticut on Monday morning. Don't forget. Did you I know? talk to you. Did you know it was Vince McMahon? Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Okay. Um, my stepdad... And that goes into an interesting little story of how I knew. My stepdad used to call my brother and I into the living room to watch TV when he knew it was something on we wanted to see. That's how I got to like Avon and Costello movies and um and the Green Hornet and stuff like that. One night at midnight on a Saturday night, because wrestling came on uh, WOR TV Channel Nine Saturday nights every Saturday night, a wrestling would come on. And he's watching wrestling. He calls us in and sit us down. And we watched wrestling. We saw Bruno San Martino and Andre the Giant and all that. We fell in love with it. And Vince McMahon was the commentator at that time. His father, Vince Sr., owned the company. He worked there as a commentator. So that's what I'm saying. That story to say, that's how I knew who Vince was. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I also knew, like everybody else in the world knew at this time, when it come down to the WWF, Vince owned the place now. He was the man. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So, so he told me, call, call, huh? call me in the morning. Here you go. Here's my number. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, which I should have known better, because by that time, I mean, there's some amazing shit that happened, mm -hmm. you know. But I said, okay, let's see. I got up Monday morning. 
I was like, do the laundry, go to the store, change the baby. And oh yeah, that's right, call Vince McMahon. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm I'm I got the number to his office in Stanford, Connecticut, and I'm calling. I'm like, this man is not gonna talk to you. So I called, they put me right through his office, and his secretary got all excited. She was like, Casanova Hayes, yeah, Vince has been telling everybody about you. He's not here right now, but he's expecting your call. He's going to call you right back, sit by the phone. <laughs> and now my, my, my show is open now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 15 minutes went by, the phone rings, and I said, Casanova. And I'm right now, like, I know whose voice this is. This is Vince McMahon. Damn. Wow. So Vince calls, and um, <laughs> i tell you how hillbilly we could be. Vince calls and tells me that he's been thinking about it, and he says that, you know, I would make a good manager figure to, uh, you know, for the because wrestlers that couldn't talk, they had managers that came out that made a lot of money walking the wrestlers out to the ring, and they would do the interviews. Right. So he was like, yeah, with the rap and all that stuff like that, I think he really can get the people going and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, and I'm listening to him and I'm like, oh my God, this is the, <laughs> the thing of a lifetime here. Right. Yeah. So I, I, the only thing I could say is Vince, hold on one second. I, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta introduce you to my mother. So I call my mother on three-way. No, you're going to laugh. This really gets good. I told my mother, I said, Ma, this is Vince McMahon on the phone. And she's like, oh, my God, Vince McMahon, hi. I watch Star Search all the time. I'm like, Ma, not Ed McMahon, Vince McMahon from Westland. <laughs> we just so like the Yahoo. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon, yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not calling you with no more celebrities. That's <laughs> I don't want no friends. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so I wrapped up with Vince, and Vince told me he wanted he uh, was going to uh, bring me back to Vegas to go to WrestleMania Nine. So I went to WrestleMania Nine. Cause see, truth be told, that was my whole thing. WrestleMania 9 was coming up, so I thought if I could, you know, rap for Macho Man or something like that, maybe I could open up WrestleMania 9. That was my, that was my, my what I, what I was, my end game. That's what I was trying to do. Okay. But no, I didn't rap at WrestleMania 9. I rapped at WrestleMania 10 because they gave me a three-year deal. Mm. You got a three-year deal with it, with the WWF. You got a three-year deal. Okay. I met Mo and Mabel, my two tag team, my tag team that I was managing when I got to Connecticut. And when Mabel got out the car, this guy was like, he was like a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'd never seen nobody that big in person. Six nine, five hundred and fifty pounds. He got out the car and all I could do was look up. I thought I would need a stepladder to have a conversation with him. Now, were they were men on a mission already in in the wrestling world? I, I, I don't I don't know. They wrestling. were in uh, with Jerry Jerry Lawler had a wrestling promotion in Memphis called the USWA, and they were down there. Mm -hmm. And when they got, when Vince decided to sign me, they were looking for um, for a talent for me to manage, and um, they came up. Um, Jerry Lawler brought them up to WWF, and they had a tryout. And that's when Vince decided to just, yeah, let me put these three together. Got it. Okay. 
So he put the three of you guys together. You, they gave you a specific job. You were going to be the manager. You were the rapping manager, and you mm-hmm. were Oscar. Right. Who, who made the name Oscar? How'd that come up? So we were all at, um, we were in the boardroom. By the time we got there, they, the creative team and Vince had already had the whole roadmap out already. Okay. Um, Nelson, whose Mabel's name was going to be Mabel, uh, Bobby's name was going to be Mo, and they were going to call me Oscar. Okay. And my first thought was, oh my, this is going to work. What the hell runs with Oscar? (laughs) 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 But I said, minor problem, I'll make it work, which I wound up, I did. Okay. You could could bend words, man. I know that. Yeah, well, see, you know the trick to that? There's a trick to it. See, there are things in life you learn a magician is sleight of hand. There's nothing wrong with Oscar. Just just spell it out. O S C A R, and then you got bar card da har far Yeah, smoke rhymes with that. <laughs> we, we, you know we're gonna bust out some rhymes here. We gotta bust sure. out some rhymes, so we gotta do that. So, man, all right, I'm 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 still rolling down this course. So you got a three year deal. You got a three-year deal with, uh, you said this was 90, what, three, four, five, six? 93. 93. Mm-hmm. So you had until nine, so three years, and was it awesome traveling with them? It did not start out that way. Okay. What was it like? Um, now, nobody now, now, would now, wait, now, now, you relationship-wise, where were you at that point? Because you, you left California to, to do this, right? To Relationship, or, when I first got in, yeah, I was with my baby's mother. Okay. Okay. And, and um, I was with my baby's mother, but here comes the fun part. Mm-hmm. When I had a show in Kankakee, that's when I met Liz. I saw Liz in the crowd, had security get her out the crowd, introduce myself, and the rest was history from our relationship. Wait, wait, wait. So you met Liz in Kankakee when you were with WWF? Yep. So you were doing a show as Oscar. Mm Mm-hmm. You made a stupidest move in your life, and you picked Liz out of everybody. Yep. And, and, And then you left your baby mama for Liz. Well, my, it didn't quite look like my baby mama was a psycho and I couldn't take it no more. Okay. I mean, I took all her shit. You know, on the, uh, the we talk about the riots now, which I will get into that. Yeah. The riot, uh, the Rodney King riot that night, that bitch tried to kill me. She cut my finger so bad with a butcher knife that it was almost hanging off my finger. Why? What were you doing? I wasn't doing nothing. She just, I don't know, the stress of it got to her, and we got into it. It escalated, and it was bad. And I couldn't even get medical attention because everybody was in the hospital shocked. <laughs> now, 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 wait. Now, I do know, and uh, and we will get into the riots and stuff that are going on now. We have to talk about that. I, I do know that during those Rodney Kings, you did go shopping, you told me. Yeah, yeah, I got a, <laughs> got a TV from Circuit City. What? Oh, and a phone. I need a TV and a phone. Okay, what made you think it was okay to loot? Uh, I don't know. I was young, and I was just was, I was with the people. <laughs> Damn, I was with the people. <laughs> How do you get wrapped up into that? Because I do kind of wonder what kids are going on uh, uh, now when you see it. Is that what it is? You're just wrapped up in the gang mentality, and, and it's the thing to do. Everybody's doing it, so let's do it. 
Well, I can't speak for other people. They're riding. I needed a TV and a phone. Circuit City was wide open. The TV was in the window. I mean, it just was like inviting me. Like, come in here and get me. So I just walked in there, grabbed the TV. Oh, the TV was heavy as hell. I lived nine blocks from there. So I got a dolly, took the TV on the dolly, had the phone in my other hand, and wheeled it down to my house. I wish you would have got caught. <laughs> You're not me. I wouldn't be out there with him now. No. Even if I wanted to be out there with him, my fat ass ain't walking from one block to the next. No. Let alone being out there with these fools. Yeah, that's that's true. Now, this is going on now. It's crazy, but but you uh now, now do you feel bad that you looted? Now do I feel bad? Do you feel bad now thinking about what you did? Uh, it was thirty five. How bad am I gonna feel? It was thirty something years ago. I don't know. I mean yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I the only thing I keep thinking, and you're going to want to hit me when I say this, was how big the color was on that television. Is how what? How big the color was on that TV. It was huge. It was a, the picture. was. only thing I keep thinking about when I think about that TV was how great that picture was. I should hit you right now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's what I only thought about it. I plugged that thing in, screwed the cable in, and it was was beautiful. I'm sorry. It was. I don't mean to laugh, but damn it. I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I'm I'm still going. So WWF stories, man. What's it like to be part of the WWF? This was... This was rolling. This was their at their biggest time, right? They were oh, when I first got in, it mm. was brutal. Mm. Me and Mo and Mabel, we couldn't see eye to eye for shit. We just tolerated each other. Oh, it was them two against me because they were like brothers, best friends. Here I come, this outsider. I'm from New York with an East Coast mentality. They from the South with a Southern mentality. They want to stay at Motel Six. Mm-hmm. By that time, I had been staying at the Beverly Hilton and the Peninsula when I'm doing stuff. We couldn't even meet in the middle because they didn't want to spend that kind of money. So I was at a Marriott somewhere. They were across <laughs> town at a Motel 6. Now, doesn't they the wanted dump- to eat at truck stops. I wanted to go and have fine dining. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. Now, did the, doesn't, isn't that part of your deal? Doesn't the WWE cover your expenses? No, uh-uh. Oh, oh how, how does how does a WWF or what? I guess uh, how does that work? How does their deal work? They they um they pay for your they pay for your plane tickets, mm-hmm. and um what you do is like okay you fly from here to Ocean City. Okay, and when you're done at Ocean City, you have to rent a car and you drive to Philly and Baltimore and uh, the towns in a rather two hundred mile radius. Then when you go on, uh, you when you're going to go to like the West Coast, they fly you there, and it's the same kind of thing. Uh, when you get but to the, the ring, the car expense is yours. The car expense is yours, but they give you money, um, yeah, like a per they diem. Give you, they they give you a per diem every night. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And now, now was your deal? I, I you know I hate keeping getting down this path, but was it a, did was it a substantial deal, a three year deal? Okay. It was, but I you you don't have a you don't have a guarantee. With um, the way it works is, um, everybody gets paid according to what the house you get. Everybody gets a percentage of the house. Oh, really? So okay. if Madison Square Garden did two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, 
then they would come up with a formula and and um you know and break everybody a, a percentage of whatever that was. So you wouldn't even you, you would have no idea what you were getting every night. No, uh, uh-uh, no. There, no. There was no weekly paycheck when you sign out. No, okay. no. I mean, yeah. Well, you would get paid. Um, you would get paid. You would get paid pretty much. Okay, first off. Um, when you first know you're getting a deal, if before you sign your contract, when you do a verbal agreement, right, it's probably a couple of months before you're actually going to do anything. But during that time, they pay you, they give you $500 a week. They start you off with that just because you, they, you knew, you know, to, so you could get your affairs in order. Okay. Um, but then, you know, you get in, um, you do your TV tapings and then, um, which which TV tapings were the lowest paid thing because the thinking is it cost so much money to produce the TV show yeah. that that was like your lowest. But then you do your house shows, which you're doing one of those almost every night. So you, so you, were, get in the, you were working almost every night with that? I was on the road in 1994, 290 days straight. Oh, man. Well, okay, so this isn't good with a relationship. You can't it is with- if you have somebody that don't, don't care or pretty much understands it. Okay, that's a tough one to understand. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Wow. That's that's a lot. Now, were you on when you were on the road with these guys? Were you like was it a a, a circuit like say I don't know how it works, but like Randy Macho Man, were you guys all traveling together to the same show and then moving to the next city together? Or at that, at, at that, it is that way now. But at that time, they had um, they had two teams. They had two teams. They had two. They had two circuits going. Okay. There'll be a handful of us that will cover one part of the country, and the other hand half will cover the other part. But then when it came to the TV tables and pay per views, everybody was there. Okay. And would you have to drive like you, Mo and Mabel, would drive together to the next gig all the time? Yep, and and you guys couldn't get along in the car. <laughs> uh, no, matter of fact, it got so bad I stopped riding with him for um. I, I spent six months riding with either other people or taking Amtrak. Oh wow! And met them at the and, and I would meet them at the venue. And that's got to be hard because when you guys are together, you got to be their their friendly manager rapping for them. And, yep. And, and and did you have some great WW? Are there certain WWF stories that stand out in your mind? The, the, the ones where, okay, now, the, you know, full disclosure, I mean, my problems with Mo and Mabel, those are the least of my problems. Those guys hated me. And they did not make it a secret they hated me. They used to uh, uh, throw my clothes on the floor when I would hang them up. One time they ambushed me and spanked me on my ass 30 times when I turned 30. <laughs> uh, the Steiner brothers, if people remember the Steiner brothers, they got me in the bathroom and duct taped me to a urinal. I went through some hell. Now, wait, now, was, was this all on TV or all behind the scenes? No, this, this was all behind the scenes. This, oh. this, was, this, this was the kind of stuff they were doing at downtime. This was real life they hated you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, poor Ace <laughs> or poor Oscar. They were like, who the who? They were like, who the hell is this guy that's no wrestling experience, didn't go to school, didn't pay his dues, yeah, he coming ahead making all this money. The crowd love him. 
He's one of the favorites. And 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 I know they hated that. No, 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 no. They wasn't standing for that. Oh, they were having none of it. Now, did you get along with any of the guys on the WWF? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you had guys like Bret Hart, who was my mentor, and his brother Owen, um, who was my mentor, and Jerry the King Lawler, and you know, I mean, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the top guys. They taught me, you know, the business. But then you had guys like the Steiners and Shawn Michaels and all that. You yeah, those those people hated me. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, did you get the go behind the scenes? Because I had a, a story one time. I don't know if I told you, but. Uh, when I was looking to move Shidokan to the Rosemount Horizon one year, mm-hmm. and it was right before, or I guess the when when they were taking me around to show me like backstage, you know where the locker room is going to be and all this stuff, and 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 just show me the lay of the land, they had just done a WWE event there the night before, and they had like or maybe it was coming, uh, I don't know, it was, I think it was before, and they had like a chalkboard in the back. And it it, right. it laid out everything like at what time this happens, that happens, this happens. I mean, it's a it's a brilliantly scripted show, and it is a show, yeah. and it's entertainment to the finest. Were you involved in like? Did you have backstage knowledge of that? Because I'm guessing I probably shouldn't have been able to see that chalkboard. No, I mean I would see the same thing okay. you saw. I mean they would have a production meeting. Um, you know, while we were there that we wasn't, you know, talent didn't have nothing to do with, you know, you were told what was going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you got there and that was, you know, what was going to happen. Okay. So it was, I mean, cause it, it was a, a, a magical scripted event. I, I couldn't believe how well choreographed that thing is. Yeah. No, no, no. They, <laughs> one thing they did ever since the days of, uh, Vince McMahon senior, they have it down to a science. Oh how it's done from the house shows are are meticulously done and the TV tapings are systematic and, um, and, and yeah, no, you are definitely on the money with that. Oh yeah. I mean, it it was, it was down to the minute at, at, at this time, this happens and then that happens. It it, it was, it was, I was amazed. I really was. So, all right. So what, uh, any other, uh, any other things from that or, or getting out of the WWF or, because that was a big part of your life. Yeah. I mean, that was a really big part of your life. It, it's, it, it's big is not the word. I, I want to call it monumental because, I mean, it still affects my life today, 20-some-odd years after I first walked into my first, you know, event. You know, once you are part of a significant name or team or situation, it follows you forever because they have wrestling has its own history. Mm-hmm. And once you are etched into that history, that history is long after you're dead. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm still invited to conventions to sign autographs today and um, independent wrestling events and appearances. What are they the kind of stuff? What are the fans? What do your fans ask you now? Like that's a, a common uh, Oscar fan question. Stories. Everybody wants to hear stories more than anything else. Okay. They don't really ask you too much about your personal life or anything like that, but they want to hear. They want to hear. Sto- they want to hear road stories. Those are your biggest questions. Okay. All right. So, what, 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 what's a great road story? Do we need to talk about or <laughs> is there is there a, a a particular one you like to share with your fans? 
No, there's, I mean, there, there are a lot of them. I mean, a lot of them I totally would concern me personally, but I was there to witness it. Like, you know, you had R. Anderson and Sid Vicious try to kill each other with scissors in a hotel room. Oh, really? Um, one of the biggest, funniest stories that everybody want to know about that does concern me was this one. There was a wrestler lady named Luna Vachon. I don't know if you remember her. No. Luna Vachon was a female, and she was she was the girlfriend of a guy named Bam Bam Bigelow. I remember that name. So, um, with, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and and I'm in um Europe, Germany, and um I okay. Before that happened, there was a big thing with uh, there's a guy named X-Pac who was part of the NWO. At that time, he was the one, two, three kid. Me and him got into a real fight in the locker room, and I beat his ass, and everybody was shocked. Nobody can believe that I beat so I beat a wrestler. But, yeah, I was pissed off that day. I had enough. Okay. So the big thing was, all right, Oscar kicked, <laughs> Oscar kicked one, two, three kid's ass. In Germany... Right, Luna snapped, and I'm on the elevator, and she attacked me on the elevator. Now she's a woman. I really don't want to hit her, but the story goes down by another guy that was in the elevator named Earthquake, who's standing there with a dumbass smile on his face. He's watching this whole thing, so he tells everybody, "Okay, <laughs> Luna Vachon just beat the hell out of Oscar." So that's the big, big thing. I'm gonna tell you how big it is. Luna Vachon died about 12 years ago. Okay. Her father, Butcher Paul Vachon, who's a legend and a big wrestler, he's still living. A year ago, I saw him in Vegas. Now, I really don't didn't know her father. But when he was passing by my table, he kept looking, looking at me smiling and laughing. I'm like, why is Butcher Paul Vachon laughing? I said, I said, Butcher, why is he laughing at me? He's like, aren't you the one Luna kicked your ass? <laughs> Didn't she probably slam you in the elevator? Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, that, I mean, this story, this story is legend. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the stories I like to hear. That's funny. Everybody <laughs> want to talk about the Steiners duct taping me in the bath in 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 the bathroom. I never want to talk about that. Okay, because <laughs> see, you know, stories take on a life of their own. Now is they duct tape me in the bathroom and they pissed on me. Nobody peed on me. Okay, <laughs> all right. Shut the fuck up. Nobody peed on me. That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! But these, but these guys, these guys were vicious. Yeah. There was a uh, one, the um, a, a girl named uh, her, her name was Deborah Michelli now, um, and uh, but her name was Alundra Blaze. She came in and they get she got the women's title almost right away. These fools, when she went to the ring, uh, you ever heard of Greg the Hammer Valentine? Yeah, yeah, I've heard the name. Yep, and she was his girlfriend at the time. Um. I come and he's in Greg Hamilton looking at me like, you know, I want to fuck you up. And I'm like, what the hell? The hell is Grandma looking at me like that for? I was looking at me, but what wound up happening was she go to the ring. These fools steal the, the, the championship belt out her bag and shit in her bag. Oh, turn shitting in it. Oh, what? They were no joke when it came down to what they call pulling ribs. And it's not just pulling pranks. Some of the things they did were seriously disgusting. Well, that's disgusting. Who are these guys? They, the wrestlers did this. 
The what? Wow. Slow down. What? Who? The wrestlers did this. Oh, the wrestlers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They would take Lex Luger's $5,000 Armani suits. he come back from the ring. His suits would be stapled to the ceiling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Pulling ribs, huh? Pulling ribs. Pulling ribs, yeah. Okay. Right. Now, did you get and it? Did, did you? Vince. Yeah. Well, this sadistic ass, he, 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 he loves hearing these stories. He, he, he encourages this kind of behavior. Oh, my God. See, the difference now is now that they are a publicly traded company with a board of directors and all that, they can't get away with this kind of shit the way they used to. Okay. They got policies now. I'm not saying that. Some of it still don't go on to a certain degree. To be honest, I really don't know. But it's not as rampant as it was when, um, you know, Vince was Vince was God. I mean, it was, he didn't have to answer to nobody. He'd get advice. He'd get opinions. But at the end of the day, Vince ruled everything. Gotcha. Now, did you have a lot of dealings with Vince back then? Yeah. I had more dealings. You have more dealings with Vince because of what I just said. It's a publicly traded company now, right. and 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 um, you know, um, his son-in-law Triple H runs everything, and his daughter Stephanie, and this, that, and the other. And then they have a bunch of intermediaries now. Nobody really talks to Vince, but no, we we dealt with Vince personally on every issue back then. You did okay. When's the last time you saw him? Last time I saw Vince was two years ago. I was at a WrestleMania. Gotcha. Okay. And is he is he cordial with you? What's your relationship? Yeah. Like? Yeah. No, we talk. I mean, um, we talk. Uh, we we talk when I see him. We speak. I spend more time with Triple H because I see him every year, every November. Um, I'm part of this um, thing called the Legacy Foundation. It's a medical group that uh, treats. Um, athletes that you know um for neurotic things and depression and all that and i go to that dinner every year the wwe is the chief uh, sponsor and triple h hosted every year so when i go i see him and actually spend time with him all the time now uh are mo and mabel still alive no mo is mabel passed away um back in 2014 what's your relationship like with with uh mo for, uh, there's a story that I'm not going to get into because it's really bad and really deep. We used to really be real, real close, but we're not now. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you leave it at that. All right. So let's Thanks. catch, let's catch you up to some other stuff here because, um, uh, man, we, we got to talk about, I don't know, Elizabeth. We got to talk about Elizabeth. This is, this is, <laughs> this is the, the worst woman I've ever met and you were married to her. Oh, Ace, if I told the story, people wouldn't believe me. I, You know, when you tell, you know, to be honest with you, yeah. my second wife, Kathy, was horrendous. She was just horrific. Yeah. Liz wasn't like that. Liz, well, we, I, I, for the most part, I got along with her and, 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 and all right, so why she acted like that when she came to St. Martin, and I'm going to tell you the story. Yeah. I, it, it was a shock to me when it happened, 
and it was a shock to me after. I, I really couldn't understand it. I mean, I apologize for it even today. Oh, but I, I didn't know where all that came from because she wasn't necessarily like that. I don't know what the hell. I don't. Maybe you just rub people the wrong way. I don't know. Well, you know me a long time. Do I rub people the wrong way? No. Yeah, you you could. No. <laughs> Well, not with her. I mean, I, I, I bring you to the islands. I give you first-class accommodations, and nothing was good enough for this lady. I know. No, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I, 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 I didn't get it then, and I don't get it now. So, why did I? Why? Yeah, it wasn't nothing you did. I don't, well, I, I don't know. Maybe, I, know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we caught her when she was on a period or something that, oh. that week, and I didn't know, but I don't know. Uh, I didn't. It was, I had a list of things. Come on, guys, we're gonna take you here, take you there. We're gonna go yeah. around the island. No, you treat no. And, you treated us really, 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 really presidential. What, yeah. what, what the hell? Is this, you know the best part? When I sent our ass home and yep. and stayed, and then we really had fun. Yep, yep, yep. You, as soon as we dropped her off at the airport, everything changed. <laughs> yeah, she got out of that car. She didn't even say goodbye to me. She got out of the car, and and uh, well, we forced her ass out of the car. And she got, <laughs> she got on that plane. You saw her off, and you jumped back in my my jeep or my car, and and you said, "Now let's go have fun." So you were you were. I, I, I'm like, oh. what the hell did he even do to you? Nothing. Oh man, but but anyway, we had a blast. You even got up on stage. You were a. Um, What'd you do? A Chippendale show. Remember? Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, were you down how many times? Were you only there that one time or was were you in the island? No, nah, I think I came down like twice. I think so too. Because there was another time uh when we were with Jared Fogel. Remember that? Yep. Subway guy. <laughs> the subway guy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, creepy dude. But he was as nice. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was well, nice. Who knew? Yeah, he was nice then, you know, when we saw him. Yeah, he was. Good Come thing. to find out. We're like, oh man, we need to erase that from our archive. Yeah. We don't know him. <laughs> we don't know him. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you, um, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier that you're a kind of guy who you would call me up all the time, and for some reason, I don't know, you have a a, a big target on your back. People want to jump on the H train, but they always want to screw you over, and I, I don't know why. I don't know if you bring it upon yourself or if they just find you. I, I don't get it. Why does this happen to you all the time? You know, a little bit of a lot of stuff combined. I mean, like I said, a lot of karma, you know, you know, I, mean, I haven't been the most, you know, integral guy in business, so things come back on you. But I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know that. I don't see how I exude the kind of personality like I'm stupid and somebody that I could be taken advantage of or somebody that don't know what's happening or I haven't been in the business long enough to know pretty much you know, a quarter a quarter mile of the ins and outs, but yeah, it 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 it, it happens. And like I said, I stopped wondering a long time ago, wondering where it all went wrong. I'm not a trillionaire today because I certainly had the tools to be really, really ultra successful and to really make a mark on the entertainment industry, a legacy. You know, if you will, you know, I did make one in wrestling. I'm real proud of that. But I'm talking about, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and other stuff, other areas and, you know, whatever. And it's like, I'm 57 years old. And it's like, okay, I've done some amazing things, but when the hell am I going to find my niche? Yeah. Well, t- tell me. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I, I, I don't know. 
soon. Hey, listen, you've had health issues. You're you're doing better though, right? That's a good thing. Yeah, um, I'm suffering from a condition called trigeminal neuralgia, which has been kicking my ass for years now. It's um, you have seizures um in the lower part of your face, and uh, excruciating eye pain. I had for a long time. I got that under control now. Oh, thank God, because. Uh, I found out trigeminal neuralgia, they call that the suicide condition because the pain is so great and you can't get a, a relief from it. People have actually killed themselves having it because it's it's horrible. But I know better than to commit suicide. But like I said, I found the right mixture of medications to manage it to where it's a lot better now than where it used to be. Um, last Thanksgiving, I had a mild heart attack. That was a you know, my the first one I had, and that was a a, a, a real a real scare. But wait, 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 wait! You said the first one I had. Did you have another one? No, 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 I don't, no, no, okay. no. Okay. first and last. Uh, okay, yeah, because now now you're on the healthy train, right? Yeah, I'm a, way better. Eat oh. eat a lot better. Eat a lot less. Okay. Um, what well, what was the bi- the biggest you ever were? How, how big were you? Close to four hundred. I never got to the four hundred pound mark, but I was close. Oh, you know, I thought you were bigger than four hundred. No, you were, but you were big. Well, you, but you're not that tall, so you, so it looked bigger. I mean, you were right. You know, I guess when we met, you were pretty big. I was about three hundred when we met. No, you were bigger than that. Come on, really? Yeah, sure. No, yeah, uh, you, 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 you dwarfed like uh, when you did the thing, and I, and I got to tell you, it was hilarious when you did uh, uh, you and Turd. Turd was three hundred pounds. You dwarfed him. Um, uh, Turd was Mankow's guy, and you guys got in the ring at ShidoCon to do the rules demonstration. And he said, "You yeah. can do this. You can't do this. You can't." Yeah. Oh I remember my that. God! It, it was, <laughs> you guys, you're throwing around that ring. It was funny. You were entertaining. That's for sure. Well, that's, yeah, that, that was. For you sure. know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, it humbles me for you to say that because I never saw myself that way. No, I always knew I could rap. I was always proud of that. But I never found myself being, people would say all the time, you are really funny. Oh. I never saw myself as funny because I would make myself laugh. Oh, you, know, yo, you, were, yo, you were funny. You were, you were, I appreciate uh, that. Oh, my God. We've had a lot of laughs together over the years, man. Oh, yeah, no. I'm going to tell you, the, I, I will say the, what I reckon, you were one of the first people to make me realize that I did have a little comedy in me because I used to have you rolling you were on the floor when we used to do radio in St. Martin. Oh, that was fun. That, that was oh fun. Oh, my God. I was like, I'm just talking. And your ass will buff up laughing till you spit on the microphone. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is he laughing at? Because he used to do that impression of Steve Calamari. <laughs> now, now, there's a story that, how well do you remember the Steve Calamari story? I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's a good story to share because this guy, what a, what a con man he is. <laughs> Steve, Steve Calamari was a guy who came into the studio. He came to the island. Yeah. And he was promoting a movie. Right. It was, it was called America's New War. And it was right, I think it had to be like right after 9-11. Right, had yeah, to be like oh one, oh two, something like that. So he changed. He had another name for it, and he changed the name to America's New War because it, it fit in. And he had filmed this over years and years, and he was coming to the island looking for money 
for sponsors, and something about him rubbed me the wrong way. And I went and started investigating this guy, and and he attributed me to ruining his entire career. But he was a con man. I mean, he was. Yeah, yeah. He said it. Yeah, he said he said it was all your fault. You know, right. I mean, y'all would go at it, the nasty emails back and forth, and the threatening phone calls, and oh. you would get him, or you would get him in the studio, yeah. and then we would just be clowning him, and he would turn red, and <laughs> it was too funny. Oh. I mean, the guy looked like. I used to, I, uh, the Jim Carrey had this uh, this character on a living color called Fire Marshal Bill, and he looked just like him and talked like him too. Oh God! You used to do that, hey, Fire Marshal Bill. <laughs> 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 oh no, he wanted he wanted to. Uh, oh, he 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 threatened me all sorts of which ways. I was yeah. <laughs> he tried to. I don't know. He wanted to beat me up, and then he wanted to. Sue me, and he he wanted. Yeah, he to, couldn't stand you. He hated me. Okay. Oh, I was. I remember. I, I, uh, well, um, I, I remember what day you said to him. You said, um, "I've got five hours a day. How much time have you got?" That was one of the funniest things I ever heard. <laughs> yeah, he went to the newspapers, and yeah, he was uh, he was quite the character. He's a bad guy. I mean, he was a liar. He was. Uh, he went to jail for some stuff for. Uh, oh, he did go to. He oh. did wind up going to jail. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, do you it. remember? Do you remember? Do you, do you remember the good fun we had that time when we were talking about some of the politicians on the island, and he's like, "Fuck this guy and fuck that guy and oh. the other guy," and the microphone was live. You know, <laughs> so that's the only time I ever did that, and, and I forgot you were there. We, if, if you remember the story, it was a great. That was actually that, that's the only time I've ever done it on air, and. It was a guy named Lloyd Richardson. We were raising, we, you were in the studio, and we changed the show because we found out that the, um, the ortho, orphanage or whatever needed money, right? They were going to get yeah. kicked out. They were going to close down the place. And so, and we, you raised like, do you raise like fifty thousand dollars that no, morning? No, it was, it was like fifteen. They needed seven thousand. We raised fifteen thousand. Right, right, and the, right. And right, the day, right. the day before, this guy Lloyd Richardson raised like $900 on another radio station. That's what happened. Somebody called up. I remember who it was. It was Pat. I knew who she was. Pat called up and she goes, you know, guys, um, uh, uh, Lloyd Richardson did something to help out, and he did a fundraiser all day yesterday on PJ82, which was the other station. I said, yeah. they, raised, they raised $900, and, and they need $7,000, or they're going to kick them out of the home. And so I said to, I think Melissa was there, and I said, Melissa, I said, cancel all the interviews. We are going to do a fundraiser, and it, it could have. Was it me, you, and rerun? Was rerun in the studio with us? Yeah, time? rerun. Yeah, yep, rerun was there. Yeah, like your little son, and uh, yeah, <laughs> now he's bigger than you. Trust me. Uh, but uh, so we went and we we changed the whole format of the show, and what happened was I was exhausted. It was right towards the end, and we raised this money over. We did a marathon, a telethon, and then mm -hmm. and and. <laughs> I turned to you. You were adding up the totals. I said, "Hey, how much? How much have we got? What's our total?" And you go fifteen thousand dollars. And I said, fifteen thousand? Yeah. Well, fuck Lloyd Richardson. And I was right. I was walking down the hall, and you guys all looked at me, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I just said that with the mics on, and I ran back, and I missed the delay, and Lloyd heard it, and <laughs> I I went I went to Lloyd's office uh, that day and apologized to him live in person. I said, "I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way." So, yeah. Right. That, that was the only time I've ever I've ever dropped an f bomb on the air. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's like you do something one time, uh-huh. and before you do anything, and I'm sure you probably do it now, even subconsciously, you check all your controls and lights on the board, don't you? Ah, you know, it's just second nature. I've been doing it for so long. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's been a long time. So, yeah, you do that. And, and then this thing here, uh, I got to tell you, this, what we're doing now, uh, the podcasting. You had suggested this to me a long time ago too. You said you were into the podcasting world. Um, mm-hmm. I love I love doing this because what I really like about it is there's no time limit. There's no FCC. No, I knew you. I, see, I, I knew you would. That's why I told you you'd have been perfect for it because yeah. you know on regular radio with the FCC, you know you have too many um, restrictions. Here you don't have any. You can say anything and talk about whatever or anything like that. So I knew you would enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I can, we can bounce up and back because you still got to tell me one story about Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I didn't forget that one. What happened with you and Frank Sinatra? <laughs> Frank yeah. um, had uh, his personal chef when he lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, before he got went out to uh, Los Angeles back when he was – uh, with the Rat Pack and all that. I don't know if there was ever a time where Frank Sinatra wasn't famous. You got some people like that. As old as Milton Berle was when he died, you know uh, Milton Berle's first big job? No, I don't. Milton Berle, you remember the little kid? Remember Buster Brown shoes? Oh, here's Buster Brown. He lives in a shoe. Here's his dog, Ty. He lives in there, too. Yeah. But yeah, but do you remember the little kid that used to be in that commercial? Uh, that was Milton Berle, huh? That was I, Milton Berle. I, I do not. I don't remember the kid. Yeah, I remember what he looked but, like. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, yeah, I'm saying that there's just some guys that I don't know if they ever wasn't famous or, or, or making money. But Frank Sinatra lived in Hoboken, and he had a uh, he had a, a big house. He had a personal chef there, a guy that we they called Maddie, mm-hmm. and. Maddie asked him for a loan back in maybe the fifties or sixties or somewhere early, a thousand dollars to for a restaurant, and he opened up Mateo's and it was in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, and uh, and you know and and eventually over the years, Maddie wound up moving Mateo's to Los Angeles, um, to uh, West LA. Um, so Mateo's had got to be the hottest spot. In Los and in Hollywood, bar none, on a Sunday night. On a Sunday night, you would have Clint Eastwood, Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Yeah, you'd have uh, presidents would uh, have the motorcade come, and the president would eat there. And you had Madonna, and you had Elton John, and these are just the people I've seen. Okay, right. when I'm mentioning these names, I'm not just being figurative. These are the people I've met when I came to materials. Okay. And when I would see people, I would act, yeah, I would do a rap about whatever. And it used to entertain people. So Maddie told my manager, Norby, he said, that kid can come here anytime he wants to. Because not just anybody, you could not get a reservation at Mateo's on a Sunday unless you were a, not an A-list, but you were a plutonium superstar. But I was able to come anytime because they knew that I was going to come here and be entertaining and have a good time. Matter of fact, when I went to, used to go to Mateo's, that Monday, you could pick up the Variety magazine and read about Michael Douglas this or share that 
and Casanova Ace was at Mateo's last night, rapping with Elton John. That's what that did for my career. It was it was amazing. Yeah, you have rough and, shoulders. And, you, you, and people will think that I'm making this stuff up, but I'm not. I don't care whether you believe me or not. It's true. It's all true. Oh, I'm, I, listen, I, I'm not. I'm not doubting your stories because uh, the big night was yeah. okay in the back. There was a guy there named George Slaughter. Now, George Slaughter uh, ran with Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack back in their heyday. But one of the big things he's famous for, the executive produced the show called Rowan and Martin's Laughing. I mean, that was one of the big things George Slaughter did. George Slaughter's back there, and he's having dinner with, you get it, Frank Sinatra. And I'm looking, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I know Joe, this is exactly what happened, the way it happened. Joe Pesci want me to come over there and talk to him. I know he want to rap, because Joe Pesci used to like, he used to always want me to rap. And he would give me like 200 or $500 in my hand after I got done. So I'm like, well, I'm going to make a good two $500 with Joe Pesci. But I got my eye on Frank Sinatra. So... My other manager at the time, Michael Bass, he was like, Casanova, let's think about this. You are taking a huge chance. Because, see, if I'd have messed that up, I never would have been back invited to Mateo's again. And you didn't, <laughs> you didn't, we didn't even want the story that Frank Sinatra cursed out, <laughs> you know, because that would be like career suicide. But I was like, no, I got to do it. Okay. So I went to Sinatra's table and I said, Mr. Sinatra, I was singing Telegram for you. And Sinatra just looked at me. And George Slaughter lightened the mood because and George Slaughter can tell the story way better than I can. He never forgot it. The way he tell it is funny. He said, this is the night that I saved Casanova's life. That's the way he starts the story off. But George Slaughter said, kid, are you any good? I said, um, I, I hope so. So I had to shed my fear right then because if I had fear, I would have messed it up. But I did. I'll back and forth and forth and back. It's sweeter and a leader of the right pack. Right there, you got the fire and the water. The last thing is George Slaughter. There's George Slaughter, but there's no one hotter. Here, right here, is Frank Sinatra. You know, yeah. and oh, wait a minute. I forgot the part where Frank took the butter knife before I started and held it up to my throat. In other words, kid, if you're wasting my time, I'm going to stick this right in your jugular. He actually did that. So I did that. Everybody clapped. Frank didn't clap. He didn't smile. But he gave me this wink. That's funny. I will never, I'm not gay. No. But I will never forget the wink from one man to another. That was the wink of approval. That that wink meant everything. That wink was better than any kiss I ever got. There you go. What a way! What what a way to wrap it, man. I, but no, that that's a great story about Frank Sinatra. You've got yeah. the stories, Ace. There's no question about it. So if if you had to look back, and I mean, come on, the story is fascinating. You've got a lot of cool stuff going on there. Is there a biggest regret? Um. Yeah. I regret in a way. And I, I'm gonna say in a way. Because I regret it, but I don't regret it. But in a way, if I could do it all again, I would love to have 
seen what would have happened if I had not taken a WWF contract. Oh, you think that held you back? You know, I was on I was on a trajectory mm-hmm. which signaled if I had been patient could have been the real big time in my life. Got it. And what did you want to do? When you say the real big time in your life, you got on the stage at Bally's, you did all these things, uh, Madison Square Garden, you played the big, huge places. What what did you want to do? What were you thinking? Well, I probably could have had a very successful recording career. Um, I could have did uh, concerts and shows at venues that was as big as the WWF venues I did, but I would do it in a standalone um, um, thing. Um, I was running with a lot of super, you know, celebrities, big name celebrities. So I could have done more stuff with people, you know, like that. I'll give you an example. Weird Al Yankovic called me to do to be in one of his videos, but I couldn't go because that day I had to go to Connecticut to shoot. Um, Shoot some, uh, shoot some vignettes, videos for WWF. I'm saying that to say that my career was on a trajectory to where I was rubbing elbows and rubbing and doing stuff with some of the biggest, 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 biggest stars on the planet. So I, I, I would have loved to see how that played out. But had, yeah, I, I see what you mean. But you know, you had said something too. Going back, the, uh, the the Oscar character. This is going to be around a lot longer than you are. So there's something about that you liked. No, no, no. Like I said, I regret it, but I don't regret it because that is the one big blessing that it came from being in the W. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm timeless now, right. you know, in a, in a, in a genre, you know, my, my career. I mean, they have, I mean, I am, my picture and story is in more books that I know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in the WWE encyclopedia. You know, um, there's uh, 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 another couple of books that I've seen where my story is in. Bret Hart mentions me in his best-selling book, a story about when me and oh, well, me and Bret Hart went to Germany, and he took me to a skinhead bar, and he left me, and I thought I was going to get killed. <laughs> but by the time Bret Hart found me, me and old skinhead, I was drinking Coke with the skinheads, and we were all sitting there laughing. <laughs> And Bret Hart mentions that story in his book. And I'm just so amazed and humbled that out of all of the stories Bret Hart has, that's one of his favorites. <laughs> me and Oscar. Me, me and Oscar went to to a skinhead bar. And when you say skinheads in Germany, I'm not talking about skinhead wannabes and KKK wannabes in America. These are the original Hitler probably is somebody's great great grandfather skinheads, okay? And we went there, and Bret Hart—I don't know where he went. I think he probably went to go get his dick sucked in the bathroom or something. But you're leaving me with these skinheads, Bret. What are you stupid? I'm, did you, do you remember I'm black? I'm a black guy. These skinheads. But by the time Bret found me, we all laughing at the we one black guy with all these white guys that are prejudiced against everybody who's not German, and they laughing with a black guy. That's funny. He said, he said he couldn't believe it. So you, so you read your story in his book, and, and, and that's funny. So you're in a lot of stories. You know, I read, I read a story you were involved in, uh, in, in our mutual connection, Man Cow. Remember, did you ever read his book? No. You know, he wrote a book, right? No, I didn't know that. He, he wrote a book, and he actually tells the story. He changed things around a little bit. 
but he told the story of the incident that uh, that that he and I, when I lost my temper with him, you were there. Yeah, Ashita Khan. That's it. When he went and he started cursing and um, talking about pussy and stuff like that in the ring, and then you came backstage and you threw Rusty Humphreys out, and then you grabbed Man Cow by the neck (laughs) in the dressing room and wanted to kill him. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, he told that story, but okay, so you know the real story. If you read it in his book, it's a little different, but it's uh, yeah, that you were involved in that thing too. Yeah, I wasn't finna pull you off his ass. I, I, I'm like, you know what? I'm tougher, but even if I get the best, by the time I finish finish fight with Bulldog, my ass gonna be tired. I ain't nothing there. You shouldn't have said nothing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was something. It was, yeah, no, you yeah. had a rep. You know, I heard about you. You had a rep. They told me that you can kick Jason Statham's ass. I, I wasn't finna get that. <laughs> they lied. Oh yeah, for you, for those that don't know, no, don't. See, Bulldog portray no. himself in Ocean City as a mild man and radio guy. That is la, one tough la, 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 la. Bitch. No, 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 la, la, la. Okay, we're moving. Hey, but I want to play something here. You know, you were talking about making the rap. Uh, how about this? You made it big, man. You were on an album. I like it. I may watch that movie now because of you, dude. Yeah, no, it, it is a really cute. If, you, if you're a fan of the Jetsons cartoon, yeah. you'll like that movie. I love it. I am so proud okay. of that that I, I don't know what to even say. That's cool. Well, I, I, I tell you, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, you tell the story, you write the book and all this stuff, but you know what? You, while you're in the books, uh, you're also in uh, Now, Forever, and Ever on Bulldog Unleashed. So how about that? You did. And oh, it, man. It, that's, I mean, that's a great story that you just told, man. That's two you know, hours. I don't, I, I, well, you know, I don't understand why me and you just don't do more stuff together. And I'm not just talking about, you know, but just, just, I mean, we work so well together. I'd be missing you. And I'd be like, you know, I don't understand why the, the man could have paid me minimum wage. I just wanted to be with him. <laughs> because somewhere around, because uh, it's better this way. It's better this way. We, 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 it's better we, this way. We, we stay at a distance. <laughs> But I want it. But you gotta, you gotta wrap. You gotta literally wrap up today's show. What uh, we just did. <laughs> wrap <let's> it up. <laughs> I, I had a lot of doubts and I had a lot of fears. I also had an amazing career from the streets of Brooklyn to L.A. to this, that, there. I did it my way. I rap for Sinatra and Milton Berle. I had a lot of experiences with the girls. I wanted to be a rapper, but I became a wrestler. And this, that, I did not settle. I did it my way. I didn't make a lot of money, but I'm talented, provocative, and funny. And now like this, there ain't no fog, and I'm also doing a show with my man Bulldog. We've been to St. Martin. We've been to Lisa's Island. We've been everywhere laughing styling and profiling and smiling and making people laugh every day and like me and bulldog we do it our way amazing dj amazing talk host people know him from coast to coast and i am proud to call him my friend and whether riots at all we're friends to the end he's black i'm white i'm white he's white i'm black together we roll but we're never whack <laughs> 
We'll always be back and we'll always be on. We rock on until the break of dawn, like we used to say it way back in the day. Me and Bulldog will make your way, and you can hear him every morning on the radio, Ivy Radio, when he does his show. When now he got a podcast, he's unleashed Casanova Bulldog, and we say peace. <laughs> All right, that's the way it works. Casanova Ace, I'll tell you something, my friend. It's fun catching up, and it was a great story, man. Hearing all those things, I learned a lot about you in the last couple hours that I didn't know, and I've known you for 30 years. And uh, as they say, man, it's a wrap. All right. See you later, man. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it.